Good evening, everyone. Oh, yeah, I see the little red ring. Where's that sound coming from? Jen, I think it's from your phone. Mute your phone. Let's get started. Good evening. This is actually not bad. <laughs> I got my phone up to the mic. It's playing the theme music. You see? I'm like... Again, we're very technologically advanced here. I know. See, I have this whole setup here, and the one thing I can't figure out is how to play this while also having us pipe through the mics. I mean, yes, there is a way to do it. As I'm slowly moving, I'm slowly moving my arm away from the. <laughs> I'm doing could, a fade out. I could fade out the volume. I could turn yeah, down the you volume on my the phone. Volume. I know, but it's less. It's less. Uh, it's less artistic. So I can like off into the. See, okay, it sounds well, like. Well, now how are you going to turn it off? Well, now I can turn the volume down. Okay, there I'm like, go. okay, now <laughs> it's all the way over there. Now how are you going to do it? Because it, it didn't exactly. It wasn't exactly a fade out. It was like fade into the background. Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of more artistic effect anyway it's wednesday night we're all crossed out i uh i sound terrible (laughs) yeah gnome has a cold and he was fine until about three minutes before it was time to go live and then he just had a massive sneezing fit just crazy like (laughs) i got all stuffy out of nowhere and yeah and i was like i got my tissues here I sound all miserable. It's that the I I really am the I really do conform to that stereotype of like the man cold or whatever it is, you know, where I'm just the most pathetic person ever when I have a cold. I like I I and I'm not even like I'm not even walking around asking for sympathy. I just sound I'm like a wet kitten, you know, like a wet like a kitten that's out in the rain doesn't need to work very hard for you to think that it's adorable and for you to want to like <laughs> pet it and stuff. But Jen like listens to, you know, I just say like, Hey, how's it going? And Jen's like, I got to go buy you some soup. <laughs> I am buying you some soup, sir. I bought you soup. I bought you Dayquil. I bought you cough drops. I, that was, that was the man cold thing. She was like, do you need anything? And I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> Here's the six things that I need. Are you going to Giant? Because I could use some things. <laughs> anyway, uh, so here we are um, to talk about stuff. I mean, we were – so we were I – mean, I mean, we probably will still talk about the the Tim Pool, Nick Fuentes, yeah, uh, Kanye is, West thing. Yeah, because this is still ongoing with – Milo releasing statements and Trump releasing statements. And now the story is kind of coming around to basically they, they set Trump up for this. So technically Milo, I guess, set Trump up for this. I don't know how much everybody else was on board with like, just trying to make Trump look like an idiot versus actually like wanting to talk to Trump versus actually like wanting to like 
like Nick Fuentes said, like I said, like wanting the prize of saying that you talked to Trump. Well, and 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 also the, to me, the more interesting reaction, the more interesting sort of weirdly self-sabotaging reaction was of the Trump crowd who were like, well, see, see, it wasn't you were all you all thought that they were in bed together. It turns out they were just playing a trick on Mr. Trump. And it's like, how many more times? How can Trump simultaneously, and this isn't the only the only the only way in which he tries to have it both ways. So he's at the same time this like amazing 4D chess player who can juggle everybody and stuff. But also, it's so easy to just dismiss everything bad he does as like, oh, he didn't know, he didn't know these people fooled him. He was misinformed and he was whatever ill served by the people around him. And that also exists with like how everybody that he hates used to work for him. And, you know, and so at some point you got to say like, does this guy really have a good uh, hiring acumen? If every, John Bolton is my favorite example. When people are like, oh, look, uh, David French is on the same side as John Bolton. And it's like, we wait until you hear who hired him as national security advisor. Right. And we found out who the fourth person was. So it was, Kanye, Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, and Karen something or another, who apparently used to work for Trump. Yeah. And she, is the one that actually got them into Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, she drove them there. And and there was some weird – it's just such a weird story because there was this whole thing about how um, she didn't even have her ID. She had her credit card, and the Secret Service were like, we don't. We don't do sick. We don't run security at Mar-a-Lago. That's not how this works. Like we're not manning the mm-hmm. the front door at Mar-a-Lago. If you know, if Mar-a-Lago security deems those people okay to come in, that's like, what are you gonna do? And like Jen said on uh, on the pod, it is a kind of a weird situation because he essentially lives at a country club. Yeah, like he doesn't live in like a normal house. And like I said on the pod, I'm like, the Secret Service doesn't vet people going into a Mar-a-Lago event. That's not really what their purpose is i mean if this was something where maybe they were going to like trump's private residence perhaps but even then you're not the secret service isn't vetting people to make sure that they're like not assholes who are going to embarrass trump they're vetting them to make sure that like okay you're not coming here to like kill the ex-president like i i think a lot of people got very confused what secret service vetting is supposed to do and like i said on the pod it's a situation where I mean, I'm sure Trump knows of Nick Fuentes, but does he know him on site? Obviously not. Yeah, no. Since Secret Service like, vetting is about whether or not you might shoot the president. Yeah. Not whether not or not you're you might anti semi. Yeah, mm-hmm. whether or not you might embarrass him. Like that's not that's not how that shit works. Like, I mean, you might but again, that's not Secret Service. Like you would that you you have other people who are in charge of vetting the the political acceptability of the people around you. That's not the secret service. They're just, they're just worried about whether or not somebody's going to kill you. Right. And even if he has people like that, I mean, again, this was a semi public Mar-a-Lago event. So what, like his handlers are going to vet hundreds of people that might come into contact with him during a Mar-a-Lago event. Like that's not a feasible thing either. So it's like Trump just lives a very weird semi public life where like hundreds of strangers like come into his house every day like it's just really weird like kind of like living in the white house we're like okay if i like if i go to the white house they're not like 
making they're like like checking my tweets or anything <laughs> they're not they're not vetting me like that they're probably not vetting me at all it's like okay did you pay for your ticket yes okay come on in i mean when you the when they run a security check on you like that like type of check your social security so and whatever is involved at the secret service i mean i when i i went to the white house once and i guess i had to give my Social security number. Yeah, make sure that you're not on like some terrorist watch list or something. Yeah, the 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 main security was like when you go there. Yeah, like you go through like I guess they like wand you down or you go through a metal detector or something like that. I would presume. Oh, I hear the is the audio breaking up? Is it still breaking up? Hmm. Can everybody hear the lovely Simon in the background? Yeah, <laughs> Clint, is it still? Because I had to. I tried to open the app on my phone for something. Oh, did you? Did you break it? I that's I I mean that's literally the only thing because I wanted to make sure the chat was okay. See, that's fine. Like in my attempt to make sure that everything is working all right, I, I'm breaking I'm breaking things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just dropped for a few minutes. It has to have been that. I, I opened the app and then it probably switched over to the app's mic or something like that. Anyway, I'm not gonna touch it. I'm not gonna touch it. Don't touch it. No. Don't even look at it. <laughs> um, here, my phone's. I'm turning my phone off. <laughs> I can't even see my screen. Um, can't even touch it by accident. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so Trump, so all of a sudden Trump is this, oh, poor, innocent Donald and, and Milo Yiannopoulos is a thing that he definitely knows how to do is this is, uh, he under, he does understand, uh, what people want. I don't know how to exactly put it, but he probably understood that, uh, Trump would really want to be seen with Kanye because of how famous he is and the fact that he's such an important artist and he wants to, it's not that Trump like reached out to try to sidle up to Kanye West. Kanye West wants to hang with Trump and that's a big coup for Trump in Trump's head. And so you can exploit that to do all kinds of shit. I mean, the fact that anybody knows who he is, um, Milo is because of Gamergate. Mm -hmm. And he, at the time I even said this, he didn't like gamers. He didn't care about wokeness. No, he just saw his way in. There was a niche at the time. This is huh. this is a thing that not a lot of people understand about Gamergate. Uh, where when it started, a thing that happened because of Gamergate, a victory, quote unquote, that Gamergate achieved, is that now there is a voice to the other side of like the cult, the woke culture war. And at the time, in like 2014. You, if if Kotaku and uh, and uh, Polygon and Huffington Post and Slate all ran a story saying something, that was it. There yeah. was no big platform that had some kind of like counter message that that w where big accounts with lots of followers would tweet out. There it, there was nothing like there was nothing you could do. And along comes uh, Milo who writes for Breitbart at the time. He was at Breitbart London, but that didn't matter. He was at Breitbart, mm -hmm. which was a, um, uh, this was pre-Trump. So it was a, it was still just a relatively mainstream kind of right-wing publication. This was even sort of before and then right after Andrew Breitbart died. I mean, we're talking relative, yeah. right? Like they've, they've taken like a huge step away from that. But I'm saying at the time, the name Breitbart wasn't dismissed outright like it is now. Like it, it meant something a little different in 2014 than it does now. Um, 
And so people were glad that there was someone who could hold, you know, feet to the fire on the other side and stuff. And he, he succeeded in increasing his profile tremendously from doing that. Uh, he just is such a weird, crazy person that he was never able to sort of parlay that into being sort of an acceptable figure. Cause he, he always hung himself. Like he always give him enough rope and he always hung himself or hanged himself. Not hung himself. Right. And the whole reason he kind of got jettisoned from right wing circles and from respectability is because he was popular there. Like he did get his come up during Gamergate. And then I forget whose show he was even on, or if it was in an interview, like this is like ages ago where he made the point that like large age gaps and gay relationships aren't uncommon and that older men will specifically like go after younger men. And by younger, I mean like, you know, under the age of 18. And so it was kind of viewed as him defending pedophilia. And so that's why he had to like go away. And then he, has gone through several iterations. He's apparently not gay anymore. He opened up a gay conversion camp in Fort Lauderdale, which is the greatest cover for like a non-gay conversion camp I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that's hilarious. I, that is yeah. an amazing, opening, what a great cover to have. A, to, to have. It's just like you'd say to conservative yeah. parents, oh, no, no, no. This is a gay conversion retreat. In South Florida. Yes, in the Keys. In Key, we're having it on Key, it's in Key Largo. It, yeah, it's in Fort Lauderdale. Yes. It's a gay conversion camp Str- in, in Fort Lauderdale. Like, <laughs> Leopard print speedos are mandatory. Yeah, literally, yes. like one of the first places in the country to be like openly accepting of gay couples. Yeah, this is where I'm putting my gay conversion camp, and it's totally legit. That is hysterical. I need Louis Thoreau to like go undercover in Milo's gay conversion. <laughs> camp in the florida keys oh my god have you ever seen oh oh did you ever see the church militant clips they have like this like qvc sort of situation where they like hawk things and like you like you watch it on tv and then like you call it and buy it oh if you've never seen the milo clips oh my god you have to look them up it's hilarious okay okay he's hawking like these religious things like and and like like a lot of these things are like completely overpriced junk you know whatever but it's like watching him do it is hilarious because milo still looks exactly the way he did when he was like full-on gay yeah so no he's a he's a ridiculous crazy person Um, i mean he's like he's he's like the og grifter like he was really the first one to like glom onto something at least as far as like culture war shit like the first one to glom on and really like get his come up i do think that he's that he's crazy though like i think that a, a like a, a a good grifter is because he had because his fall from grace or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it he got disinvited from cpac all that shit uh has to do with the fact that he doesn't know when to shut up mm-hmm. and he is just like yeah like his own personality ends up being his downfall he can't even like capitalize on his own grift fully and right and to segue from that into what happened after thanksgiving gate and this whole thing blowing up is that 
through a series of events. I don't know how. I don't know who reached out to who, but Kanye ended up on Tim Pool's show. I mean, that's it. That's well, not I mean, a hard. That's not a hard to understand. Who well, no, I'm sure Tim reached out to him because the, I I have a whole rant on people who basically base their their guests and who they invite around like the current controversy du jour and the current like hot thing and that's what tim did here so yeah, anyway. i won't even blame him i mean he run, you know he runs I mean, like a show like that and he has production staff he has a producer who's actually lovely by the way if you want to like forget politics or mm-hmm. whatever she's just really nice um and i'm, I'm sure that you know they I, it, either they might have reached out to him through like candace owens they might have reached out to fuentes through somebody it's not that difficult like nick fuentes is not exactly a celebrity like i'm sure that if you need to if i needed to get word to nick fuentes i'm sure i could figure out who to ask like for his like phone number or something like that or it could have been a situation where milo because apparently kanye is thinks he's going to run in 2024 and milo right now is his campaign manager yeah so milo might have reached out to tim's people Anyway, yeah, sure. That's a that's a that's a valid point. The funny thing about this being portrayed as some kind of like master manipulation by Milo is that he's doing it in the name of like a meme candidate that'll obviously not have any kind of impact. No, but now people are talking about Milo again. But no, no. But it'll end up. This will end up helping DeSantis because again, Trump's the whole like i didn't know anything or whatever that's not a good def- that's not a good defense like i people again are not going to walk away from this thinking like yeah that's our guy look at how he handled this that's our dude right you know what i mean like you you need to it's slowly but surely it's chipping away at people cuz you got to think about people on the margins you cannot judge you cannot judge uh uh trump's popularity by looking at some something that like Raheem Kassam will say you need to look on the margins of people who were who went along with Trump a lot and are now like every time another thing like that happens are like see no 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 we can't we can't that's the people I'm paying attention to more you know what do you want to call swing voters we could call them swing primary voters or whatever or like people potential jump ship jumpers um he just does not uh, – uh, uh, for example, here's the segue a little bit because we're going to talk about it, this other thing too. Uh, there was just a – Sam Bankman-Free just got interviewed at a New York Times thing. But we have to finish talking about Kanye. No, no, I know. I know. <laughs> we're going to go back to that. I'm just saying like at the end, the interviewer said to him like, have you lied to your investors at any point? And, uh, uh, you know, like a somewhat confidence-inspiring response would be like, no, I did not. Instead, SPF was like, did I lie? I don't, I mean. What is the definition of lie? Yeah, well, let me think. And then he said something like, you know, he said something like, I don't, you know, thinking I'm not. No, there is no, to my, you know, he, he, it, there was no like, no, absolutely fucking not. I did not lie. I was very honest. And so, like, that's not a that's not a particularly confidence inspiring answer. And so, like, when when Trump is says like, "Hey, Kanye," meh, and I, there was a guy, and I didn't know him, and then everyone is like, "See, they trolled him. She got in with the credit card." That's not that doesn't make Trump look good. That makes him look like a bumbling idiot. Which I mean, he is, and yeah. he's somebody who's 
desperate for fame. And this is just this whole, this whole group of people are just people who use other people. And eventually like when you get a circle of people that large one day, you're going to be the person getting used. That's just how the game is going to go eventually. So anyway, back to Kanye on Tim pool. So he's there. Milo's there. Dick Fuentes is there. And Tim is interviewing Kanye. And Kanye starts going off on this whole rant about how they, they tried to get me arrested and they run the media and they, and you know who he means by they, I mean the triple parentheses, they. they. And so Tim Pool gives the barest bit of pushback. He's like, no, 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 it's not. It's it's the it's the corporate press, which everybody wants to give Tim credit for this. I'm like, by the way, that is also in certain circles a veiled reference to the Jews saying the corporate media. But anyway, so Tim is like not entirely having this whole the Jews thing. And so he gives, like I said, like the barest amount of pushback and Kanye just gets up and leaves. In the middle of the stream, because I don't know if you guys know how Tim Pool works. Like, he when he when he records, he's live streaming, like in his studio. So he gets up and leaves. The entourage gets up and leaves. Apparently, they send somebody from production to try to get Kanye back into the studio. They're not having it. They all leave, and then the whole script changes. And now it's Tim Pool slamming Kanye for like. Oh, he's 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 being woke. He's saying woke things. It's well, like he did say, according to them, he did say something like that. He walked off because they wouldn't let him speak his truth. I think that's <laughs> where that comment came from. I think that's where they pulled that woke thing from because they were like, "What the fuck is what is my truth?" Like, mean in this um, context? like that. That's it's. And if you don't understand what that means in that context, then you are lacking a certain level of sophistication to even be commenting on anything because like when somebody says my truth in that situation, they don't mean like, they don't mean it in the woke way. They mean it in the, Oh, I want a chance to be like anti-Semitic because this is, this is what I believe. It's like, it's, it's not, again, they ascribe, they ascribe wokeness to this idea of like, you need to, you need to let me say my thing without challenging me because that's that's how the world should operate. They associate that behavior with wokeness. It's obviously not. Yes, woke. You know, like woke crybabies behave that way, but it, they did not invent it and they don't own it. No, right? that's a thing that a lot of people do. Um, I mean, Trump. What Trump didn't get up and leave an interview. You know, he, he he absolutely did. That was the, I mean, and then later we didn't even know if that was real or not real. That was mm-hmm. like the Pierce Morgan one, I believe. And then, you know, and he but then he went on with Jonathan Swan of Axios <laughs> and didn't, you know, like didn't get up and leave, but it was a, a highly contentious interview. Again, I will say that to Trump's credit, at least, that he like, he went, on with Jonathan Swan and said all his crazy shit. And Jonathan and, Swan like asked him tough questions and he like fought with him. Yeah. And it produced the best four panel meme ever. It, it really did. <laughs> I, I just say that in the context of, of the fact that like, for example, like that's not really something that Biden does or probably would do like go to an interview. That's so contentious that there would be like yelling like back and forth or whatever. And, and why not? Like, 
he should. Uh, is it the graph interview? Yes, I do think it's the graph interview, uh, Clint. But it's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the one where yes, like, where he's he, where Trump's showing him things, and and Swan's like, this makes no sense. Yeah, he looks down at he's the like, thing, what and is he, this? he has this like weird like eyebrow up look, like <laughs> huh? huh? He does like a huh. Um. Yeah, and by the way, like again, Sam, like Sam Bankman-Fried also like sat down for this like hour-long interview. It was not a softball interview exactly, but it was also I I saw a few people who like uh, like Coffeezilla, who's this guy that um is a big uh, scam exposer and talks about crypto and stuff, was very mad at uh the sort of conciliatory attitude that. Sorkin took the interviewer, but I do think there is some value to letting, to being a little nice and letting him hang himself. You know, he did that interview with that girl, Tiffany Fong, who is this very new kind of crypto style YouTuber. Cause she, she doesn't come from crypto. She lost a bunch of money in the Celsius uh, crypto thing. And then when she made a video about it, all of a sudden a bunch of Celsius employees like contacted her on the secret and she became like a big Celsius, like scoop exposer. And so then she also kind of became this FTX exposer. Mm-hmm. And if you watch her interview with, uh, with SBF, she's all kind of giggly and stuff. And I think she kind of, she's playing it up a little bit to make him feel kind of comfortable. Mm-hmm. And she goes like, like, I think I read in the Wall Street Journal, and she might that might be her mannerisms. I don't know, yeah. but the fact that she was speaking like that made him feel very comfortable. I think this guy thinks, as they say in Goodfellas, he thinks who the fuck he is. <laughs> he thinks he's smarter than everybody all of the time. That's why I think he also he also spilled the beans in this interview, and he said like, "My lawyers told me to shut up and stuff." He thinks he can talk his way out of this, and it's no big deal. I really think that he thinks that. Oh my God, he seems to be incapable of shutting the hell up. And that's, that's why I was like, everybody started talking about the interview because I think it was scheduled, like he was scheduled to speak before all this happened. I was like, wait a minute, that's Correct. that's still happening? Correct. Wait a minute, his lawyers have not like put him in like a kennel somewhere yet? Like he's still talking in public to the New York Times? And so, yeah, that that I feel like everybody on Twitter watched that except for me because I was working. But that's okay. That's what Twitter is for. So I can see everybody else's reaction to it. And so, yeah, and going back to Kanye, because there was a broader point I wanted to make here. And I guess it kind of ties into the SBF thing where, well, not really, but there's this this feeling that, like, you just have to, like, talk to the people and explain to them, like, why their ideas are wrong and then they'll understand and i'm like you can't have a conversation with somebody who doesn't want to have a conversation like that's not how conversations work and this was just a clear example of like like i said pool gave the barest amount of pushback and kanye just left like how are you supposed to engage with that (laughs) Like, it doesn't even make any sense, but people still are like, well, you have to reach out to the people and talk to them. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me, let me tell you how the game works because there's still a lot of people who are extremely naive about this. And this goes back to the whole circle of people who use other people. There are people, I don't even know if I'd put Kanye in this bucket because I genuinely don't even know where he's at mentally, 
But there are plenty of people like Nick Fuentes, like Milo, who will take that attitude and run with it in order to get themselves on certain platforms to elevate themselves and their own prestige and their own profile, knowing full well that like, they're not engaging in good faith. They're there to use somebody to further themselves. And so that's why I'm always like side-eye and I'm very cautious with that whole idea of like, oh, you should use your platform. Like, oh, you should invite this person onto your podcast or whatever to discuss ideas. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand how bad faith actors work. Like they're not there to discuss ideas and like have their minds changed. They're there to use your platform to elevate themselves. So that's basically what happened here. And like I said, I don't even know, because again, I don't know what Kanye's mental state is. Like we've discussed this before where I mean, he is bipolar. Maybe he's having an episode. It doesn't excuse him for being like an anti-Semitic asshat. But I don't know like really where his head is at the same way I do like Fuentes and Yiannopoulos, where I know like, okay, this is basically you using somebody to elevate your own profile. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, he, he just c continues to like, I mean, Kanye continues to like be clown himself and the, I, I don't know, like, I feel like eventually those two are going to end up like a Jacob wall. <laughs> Oh my God. You know, Berkman and wall. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's going to be Yiannopoulos and Fuentes a little harder. It doesn't roll off the tongue as much, does it? Uh, yeah. Are we going to get to the part where they like accuse Elizabeth Warren of having like a side piece and being into BDSM? Cause that was a fun story that actually made Elizabeth Warren sound cool. And also like those weird, like they would send, everyone would send a reporter to their weird, uh, Press driveway press. yeah dri exactly there were driveway press conferences exactly <laughs> they're just boxes of donuts um like just kind of like yeah i i remember those days that was kind of those were crazy like <laughs> like they literally like these two i think is berkman his dad no it's not his dad his dad is also a wall obviously. okay uh, his dad is, I can't remember, something else wall. No, didn't they have some kind of like... Aren't they related in some way? Anyway. Didn't they have some kind of like Fauci whistleblower or someone who was like, I can't remember. They Because they did have something like during COVID. They did have some kind They've of... They've had so many scams and so much like fake shit. And it's... And finally, I guess they finally got sentenced to something. And now they have to go do 300 hours of like roaming around the poor burbs of dc signing up people to vote i'm like this is literally the worst idea i've ever heard in my life <laughs> like this is just going to be like some kind of big scam like please don't have these people do this yeah yeah kind of um like there might be a good tldr of this this interview at some point because a lot of it is somewhat technical and and uh and on top of that a lot of crypto people were like he didn't even understand well enough to to push back about other stuff but um I did like that the, his producers were clearly like reading Twitter mm -hmm. as the interview was going on because he was grilling SBF about his behavior on certain days. He was like, what, what date, what date did you uh, realize that uh, shit was going to hit the fan or whatever? And SBF said like on November 6th, this and this happened. And he was like, on November 7th, I was already like really, really concerned. 
And as on Twitter, people were like, ooh, look at these tweets Wait. that he deleted on November 7th. Mm-hmm. And like five minutes later, he's like, he, you know, somebody whispers something in his ear and he's like, wait, wait, hold on. Because what everybody about this has the yeah. screenshots. You, you know? said moments ago that on November 7th, you did this <laughs> and that. And here, what about this deleted tweet of yours where he said, where you said this and that, where you said, all the funds are okay. All the funds are okay. We're, mm-hmm. This is all FUD or whatever he said. Mm-hmm. And he kind of squirms and he, he essentially said like that he deleted it once he realized that it was not true, that like he was wrong. See, it'd be super fun to like do an interview like that and just have like a big like white screen in the background. And then you could just put stuff like that up on the white screen. Like, hmm, what is this, sir? That's hilarious that you said sir. that because I was like, mm-hmm. at his trial, all they got to do is like you got to prepare like a little <laughs> uh, a little like a PowerPoint or something like that. You, somebody really needs to just make a YouTube video. It's just of this interview, and every time he answers something, just put up on the screen the screenshot of the thing that proves that he's lying. That's all. Doesn't need any commentary. Doesn't need any commentary. Just him talking, and then up the tweet pops up, or this document pops up that says, you know, on this date, so this this happened. That's all you got to do. Let's just show that to the jury. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, watch this video, and then go deliberate. Like the prosecution just needs to have a special table with like four people just like fact checking on Twitter while he's testifying. Yeah. Well, SBF, <laughs> SBF will likely be charged, right? I don't know. I have no idea. First of all, he's in the Bahamas, right? And acting like, because he also kind of dodged the, the question of like, so why aren't you coming back? What are you doing in the Bahamas, sir? Who yeah, knows? Just chilling, yeah. you know. Where will there's he, no extradition. You will know, he get, ch- I mean, charged? I'm sure that legal stuff will happen. Some legal things will happen. Will he be accused of fraud and go to prison? I really hope so. I just, the hubris involved here. And just, and again, to me, the the fact that this guy is laying out his con in the most, in the blat- most blatant of terms, and people are still falling for it. Because we talked about this on the pod where he was like, oh, by the way, I also donated to Republicans. But it was all dark money because Citizens United. And then all the press were like, see, he's also a Republican donor and see Citizens United. I'm like, he literally five minutes ago said, I say the shibboleths to make the left like me. And then they like me. And then he turns around and he says shit that'll make the left like him. And the left is like, see, see, he's right. He was right all along. It's unbelievable. It really is. Like he's just he's outlining he's like outlining the con as he's pulling it and it's still working. It's like imagine the fire festival. Imagine the guy standing there in the middle of the FEMA tents on that island. <laughs> With the bologna sandwich. Yeah, and being like, "Oh no, it's around the corner." The actual festivals around the corner and everyone being like, "All right, guys, the real Let's festivals go. around the corner. Let's go." Like it's just it's I Wish I was saying I was saying on Twitter, wishful thinking is like a really powerful narcotic. Uh, and, and it's hard to kick. It's hard to kick that habit to be like, this is so good. This confirms all my priors. <laughs> and I mean, still to this day, have people in the press trying to be like, oh, he was just he was just a misguided visionary. He wasn't a con man. It's like, no, pretty sure it was con man. Kind of. Looks like a con man, smells like a con man, walks like a con man, talks like a con man. It's probably a con man. Walks like a con man, talks like a con man. <laughs> uh, um, Andor. Yeah, that's a hard pivot. Yes. 
Because um, we want to talk about it. <laughs> people, do, people who don't like Andor are super wrong. I was so I was so worried. Okay, how, this is how this started. So I watched this video about Andor, and it had a montage of a bunch of like the YouTube reviewers who Star Warsy YouTubers who didn't like it or were like unimpressed by it. And not ever, not all of them were negative because now there's this thing, there's a sort of toxic positivity thing where it's clear that somebody hated the show, but they'll be like, I know it's not for me and that's fine, but here's all the things I don't like it, but it's fine if you like it. It's fine. It's fine. You know, cause like everybody's really afraid of starting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got really irritated. <laughs> My favorite was the one. Okay, uh, uh, while you're dying over there, yes. Um, the man who was mad at Andor because it was like too realistic, and there was like a lot of like realistic looking things. Oh, with screws and yeah, was, was, and, and like the buildings are made out of bricks, and that is so not Star Wars. Bricks and screws. It was the whole thing about look at all the bricks and screws. Right, and and this is a point that we've made i'm sure several times i've made it several times on twitter but the 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 kind of overriding thing of the show is i mean obviously it's about cassian andor and his journey to becoming a part of the rebel alliance and ending up on rogue one that blows up the first death star the broader point of this show is to show how normal people lived under empire rule not not the Jedi, not royalty, not the Senate, with the exception of Mon Mothra. Normal people. Just normal people who live on a normal planet dealing with this shit. And so, no, there's no lightsaber fights. Nothing goes whoosh or burr. And there's no cool cameos. And there's no, no force choking or people levitating or anything like that. It's just normal people dealing with this situation and and in particular Cassie and Andor dealing with a situation that he basically started really but it all kind of like spiraled much far beyond it, it's very butterfly effect yeah very butterfly effect because the first episode we meet Cassie and Andor and he's you know looking for a sister whatever a series of unfortunate events happens he ends up killing to corporate security guys. And that's how this whole thing starts on Ferret. Which is amazing because, again, we're talking about a franchise in which waves of enemies are just like mown down as cannon fodder and nothing happens. And this is like two random private security get killed like at night in a in like a in like a CD area, some place where they're not supposed to be, trying right. to shake Andor down. Like. Right. It's actually the uh, if you want to talk about an interesting sort of parallel that just occurred to me, you know, Star Wars is all about like destiny, right? This person was here at the right time and did the thing at the right time. This is almost like that in reverse because yeah, they're in like the wrong place at the wrong time. No, no, no. But I'm saying not just that, like, not just that. Uh, uh, the Cyril, because Cyril was so stubborn, because Cyril's boss was like, uh, but, let it you know, go. Yeah, not even let this go. It was even, it was more than that. 
he was like, sweep this under the rug because it makes us all look bad. Mm-hmm. They're not they're, they're not supposed to be brothels on this planet. Our corporate security are supposed certainly not supposed to be in brothels and certainly not supposed to be able to afford to be in the brothel that they were in. And so don't. Just mm-hmm. don't say anything. And because this guy is like so, you know, he's like so uh, frustrated by the by like lack of order. And I think it's one of those things where, because he has no control over anything in his own life, like the, the idea of like exerting control is so intoxicating to him. That's why he's, he's kind of weirdly in love with, with, with Dedra mm-hmm. because she is this sort of embodiment of like being able to control things and powerful and being powerful and stuff. But yeah, like the, the snowball that this creates because it causes uh, um, sort of uh, uh, Morlana to come under imperial control. Like they even kick the corporals off like of the planet. They're like, yeah. you're not in charge of the sector anymore, guys. Mm-hmm. We're bringing our soldiers in this entire sector. That's why when, because I, I also criticize the people who call this show anti-capitalist because the only way that you call this show anti-capitalist if, is if you just think everything bad is capitalism. This show is not about capitalism. It's true that the guy who writes the manifesto is probably a communist. I, I, or I can argue that he's an ANCAP. Yeah, or an ANCAP, whatever. Or, 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 or an, just like a straight-up anarchist or, or whatever. Like I, but I would, not, I would not doubt. And yes, Star Wars has always had some kind of like, you know, kind of left-wing messaging. But the show is not anti-capitalist. It's, it's it just isn't. It's like it's, yeah, it's not about capitalism at all. It's it's really about authoritarianism and the state and how in things fact, were in like not only the early days of the empire, but pre first Death Star. Like so, like the earlier days as we know it. Like we're not here at like. Death Star 2.0. We're like we're before Death Star 1.0. Yeah, well, and 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 you could tweak it just a little bit and make it anti-capitalist too. For example, all you got to do is you got to make the prison a private prison that then sells whatever components they make to the empire. But then that would completely miss the point of that whole plot line. Which I don't I don't well, want to necess- No, not necessarily because well, all you could do is say like the the empire outsources these like this sort of prison, this like prison labor system to a private corporation, but it doesn't. That's not no. what this is about. No, it's about the authoritarian state, and I don't want to ruin like the end credit scene of the season finale. But yeah, it. If, it by the way, because I mean, everything kind of ties together. Yeah, I will say though, it did again. I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on Colin, the episode mm-hmm. of Eon Flux, the Lassophobia or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. the Natophobia, I think it's called. That has a very similar plot. Um, oh, and not so uh, but, uh, above average Joe says for big lore nerds, I can see why it would be disappointing because if you change like three names, you would never be able to tell it used to be a Star Wars show. I will say this, though. I think that uh, EU fans might disagree with you because I hear a lot of EU nerds like uh, the Star Wars Extended Universe, which is all the books and all that stuff that existed before they kind of swept all that up and said, this is all non-canon. Now we're calling it Star Wars Legends. But a lot of people are saying that this reminds them of the X-Wing series or of this and that series. uh, the, The Extended Universe always had a lot of this like very different Star Wars-y stuff going on. Uh, and I do think that, yeah, it's because you're, 
you're setting a bit of a trap by by doing this because Star Wars can either be something that's multifaceted or it can be something very flat and samey. But when it's very flat and samey, people complain. And I know that, it, and you're not, unfortunately, I know ideally you want, you would like an Obi-Wan show or a Boba Fett show that's as well written and conceived as like an Andor. But the problem is the weight of the canon kind of prevents you from doing that. And so it's it's only possible to do when you're talking about minor things that sort of don't affect the main story. It's a little bit of the trap of the Star Wars universe as a whole. Something that I was interested in, and it hasn't gotten a lot of press, which I think is rather interesting, is that this also shows kind of the beginning of Mon Mothra's journey. And especially, Mon Mothra? Yeah. <laughs> the Godzilla monster Mon Mothra. Yes. <laughs> but like, especially in the season finale, again, no spoilers, but whoo boy. I, yeah. After the, the events of that, there's no turning back for her. I do, like that. She's locked it. I do think it's, it's so again, this show does interesting things and it's, it's always more fun when something you're like, I feel like this is saying something about our modern society, but because it's not smacking me over the face with it, I'm not, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's being preachy. For example, the, yeah, the story with Mon Mothma and her daughter, because her daughter is becoming like a trad because uh, she's having like a rebellious phase against her liberal mother by be becoming a trad, by becoming like, by becoming uh, uh, immersed in her own like home planet's sort of traditional culture, which involves stuff like, yeah, arranged marriages mm -hmm. at a young age, sitting around with your girlfriends reciting the Bible or whatever it is mm -hmm. that they were, that they're doing. And again, the idea of like generational rebellion, but they're doing it in reverse here, you know, because what, what, what has almost always happened in history is, uh, you know, where uh, uh, a, a younger generation rebels by being more liberal as opposed to being more conservative. And this goes back to like Rome. You know, your JD is in here. He's going to love that I'm saying this. But like Julius Caesar, when he was young, was like the equivalent of a hip, like a Roman hippie, essentially. Like he and his friends like wore uh, clothes that were of a fa of a newer fashion. They wore goatees, which was like uncommon among more conservative Romans and stuff like that. And they uh, they wore some of them wore makeup, which led to you know, what you might call like essentially homophobic comments from more uh, conservative Romans. Mm -hmm. So like we're talking something that's like thousands of years old. That's like, that's boring. That's, you get it. You know what I mean? You want something more interesting. You want something that's transposed onto something more interesting. Right. And I mean, there is that, that sort of generational rebellion thing, but especially in that season finale, the way, and again, I want to phrase this as to not spoil it because there are some rather shocking scenes with Mon in that last that last episode. The way she leans into that is very wow. Um, yeah. yeah, basically, um, yeah, a lot yeah, of manipulation it, games. And yeah, it it really shows how much she sacrificed to get the rebel alliance off the ground up to and including doing some 
very morally questionable things. Yeah, and it is, and and that it is actually a, 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 a sort of an interesting way to look at that show is that what you're seeing is all of the people who had to do the dirty shit in anonymity. So yeah, I joked about this so that Luke Skywalker could like walk up and be like, I. I shot at a space rat once mm-hmm. and Mon Moth was like, you're our last hope. Yeah. Get this X-Wing immediately. And, you know, like, and some guy had to like murder his own friend. That's, I mean, that is the first, mm-hmm. the first time you see Cassian Andor in Rogue One, he murders somebody who trusts him. He murders like an informant that trusts him because he's injured and he can't get away. And Cassian's afraid that the empire is going to capture this guy and interrogate him. So he just shoots his own guy. Right. And at the time everyone was like, Oh, this is credit. And then, yeah, like this show starts and within five minutes, Cassian shoots two guys in the face. Right. I mean, one he kills by accident, but the other guy's like, please, please don't kill me. Bang. Right. I will say though, in Cassian's defense, that guy was full of shit. That guy was like, Oh yeah. We'll go in together and we'll, Tell them it was an accident. Yeah, sure. Right, okay. Sure. That's exactly what you were sure, done. Guy. Exactly. But I mean, he could have like, I guess, knocked him on. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Cool. The point is like, yeah, these are the guys who did all the dirty work so that some space wizard could come in and get all the glory and get a medal. Exactly. And I, I've seen people kind of refer to this as like adult Star Wars, which it very much is because to me, like, especially in Andor the the deaths are a lot more explicit like when you watch star wars you like you see somebody fight a stormtrooper they fall down like you can assume they die but it's not like explicit that they're dead or like unconscious or whatever here like it's pretty damn explicit when somebody is killed like it's there, there's there's no question of like oh are they going to be coming back later no no, no yeah. they're dead yeah and you're right above average joe says the interrogation scenes in andor kind of recontextualize him killing the informant in rogue one now we've seen interrogation mm-hmm. in star wars before but it's usually like a jedi like waving his hand at someone else and another person going like okay i'll tell you right yeah but in this like by the end of it bix who's been like tortured with that yeah, weird literally tortured the screams of dying like, alien explicit, children again yeah. like explicitly tortured like she is broken like it's so sad when they like carry her into the ship and cassian's like i'll meet you later and she says like he'll come for us and she's i mean she's a mess right they fucking they they stripped her of any kind of dignity and i also like that it wasn't that she was like resi- no oh no no she sang she told them everything but that's realistic <laughs> you know like people you don't really li- resist under torture if you're not some kind of like specially trained operative which she wasn't she was just a random like you know uh uh, uh aiding and abetting the rebellion and especially in the, the <clears throat> interrogation scenes, it's made very explicit that this is a div- like a certain device slash method that the Empire developed based off of, hey, you know, we were destroying this one planet this one time and we found that like the kids on this planet emitted a sound when they were in pain that was just like, the most horrific sound that anybody has ever heard. So we turned that into a torture method and hi, here's Mr. Torture man. And he's going to torture you now explicitly. Like it's not, it is very adult in that way of like 
being very explicitly violent, being very explicitly like showing the evil of the empire in both ways, like big and small. And so again, like one of the biggest critiques I've seen of this show is people are like, I watched the first episode or watched the first episode. Like it was slow and boring. I'm like, this is why you have to stick with something and give it a little bit of time to breathe because you're not going to appreciate those first episodes until you get to the end of the season and understand like, okay, that was all like the preamble to everything that comes after this. Like they this maybe, is this is the setup. Maybe they should have done like our, what Arcane did, which is released like in chunks of three, so that you could go through it. Because yeah, Arcane also, but I mean, Arcane is even a paste better than this within its like arcs. But I, I I've said I I think I said this on the pod, or did I say this on the pod, or did I just say this to you in conversation? Where over the life of this show. Most people won't watch it week to week like we did because we watched it when it Mm -hmm. aired. But now it exists on streaming services and most people for the rest of its existence are not going to watch it week to week. And therefore, it's pacing on a week to week basis isn't exactly a fair criticism. Like you can talk about your own experience. I said on the pod, uh, JD says, "Okay, thank you. But yeah, like you're, it doesn't, it doesn't invalidate your experience. You can say like, I felt like the pacing was off because, you know, I watched it week to week, but I usually give shows a pass. I will usually say to somebody, you're lucky if you haven't seen it yet, because it actually benefits from watching it in chunks. Like that's how I'll frame that quote unquote criticism. You know, like there's an anime, I don't know how many people in here actually watch anime, but there's an anime called Hunter Hunter, and there it's a it's an anime that describes like battles between superheroes in really minute detail because it's these two like superpower beings and they're fighting at like lightning speed and throwing all kind of magical attacks or whatever. So the show will like slow it way down and be like, you know, two seconds passed and here's what happened, and three seconds passed and then this is what happened. And there's this whole arc of this anime. That's like multiple episodes long, 20 episodes long. I don't know what. And if you, when, when we watched it week to week, it was excruciatingly slow, but now you could just like blow by it and be like, this is great. It's way more fun. And so like, I'm not going to knock the show for that. It's not their fault that they, you know, that like, that's the pacing. Uh, It was more my misfortune in a way of having had to watch it like that. See, I didn't even really mind the pacing, but I would say this is one that would hold up to like a binge watch or at least chunk watch because there are definite story arcs where there's like beginning, middle, end, beginning, middle, end, beginning, middle, end. And that's not to say that they don't all flow into each other, but there are definitely distinct stories like, okay, this is Cassian Andor is being recruited to go join this rebel alliance mission and then cassian andor after said mission ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time and then that launches another story arc and then he gets out of that story arc which leads into the last story arc yeah it's the weird thing is there is a there's a three episode arc then there's another three episode arc then there's a single episode that's like a weird connective tissue another three episode arc and a two-part finale. 
So like you watch it like three, three, one, three, two. That's sort of like the the quote unquote pacing. Uh, and I mean, you could like just string together. It's the uh, uh, JD, the 2011 Hunter Hunter, not the 1999 Hunter Hunter. Yes, that is that is the, just to, to, to clarify. <laughs> it is important. They are very different. They are extremely different. And the, the arc that I described does not exist in the 1999 anime, the Chimera Ant arc, it's called. Uh, anyway, um, uh, it is Disney Plus's first prestige show. Like, I, to me, that's easy. Like, not even, like, man, I like Mando a lot. Season one more so than season two, but not Justin. I also loved like the second he showed up in Boba Fett, I was like, ah, oh, great. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Mando. I just, but it's more of like, yay, Star Wars, right? This right. is more like, yay, great TV, great television. You yeah, know? just really good character development, really good story development. The, I, again, don't want to spoil it for anybody, but like the, the, the prison storyline, really one of the better storylines and story arcs I've seen in a long time in a show. It deserves three Emmy nominations, mm-hmm. I think. I think Stellan Skarsgård deserves an Emmy nomination. I think uh, Genevieve, whatever her name is, Mon, whoever plays Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. And uh, semi-spoiler alert at this point, I don't think it counts anymore, but Andy Serkis, who shows up for one arc, is so good as like a supporting character or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so goddamn good. I mean, really, he, he always leaves it out there. Like he's never, Andy Circus never phones it in. Uh, which by the way, for the two minutes we have left, speaking of phoning it in, <laughs> Chris Pratt's voice in the Mario trailer. The Mario trailer looks pretty great. I got to say, the thing that I loved about it is that there is gameplay. There's a Mario level that kind of pops up and he has to like do a Mario thing. There's a Mario Kart level that kind of pops up. That's what I want. A movie based on a game like that, I need it to somehow kind of find interesting ways to like incorporate the game into it if it's a Mario movie. Mm -hmm. but, But Chris Pratt, it sounds like a placeholder. It sounds like he just came in and did like a let's let's go let's go let's go it's a me mario that would have been that he didn't even put in that much you just did more of a you they should have hired you to be mario we didn't get like n64 mario so but he did like a wahoo and he did like a let's go but they were like totally i said it reminded me of uh the movie blade runner yeah are you done the Yoko's making noise. Um, the the theatrical cut of the movie Blade Runner uh, has narration by Harrison Ford that the studio made him do mm-hmm. uh, because they were like, this movie is too obscure. You yeah. can't understand it or whatever. And Harrison Ford's like, I don't want to do this. And they were like, you have to. So it was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do the worst job that I possibly can. <laughs> I mean, that's not – I'm not even like – I'm not even – uh, this isn't even editorializing. Like this is like a true story. Mm-hmm. And so if you watch the theatrical cut of Blade Runner, he, he really does go like, uh, they called me a Blade Runner. It meant I killed the damn replicants. <laughs> That's literally like the way he delivers it. And it's like, it doesn't even sound 
it's not really mixed well. It's just like, it's so, it's actually funny. Like now when I watch it and I know the story, mm-hmm. every, every voice line, I just start laughing. <laughs> it's like, it's impossible to not laugh. Ugh. She had a set of gams on her, that lady, but I knew she was a robot. <laughs> Get it audience. Get it. Maybe I'm a replicant. Mm. <laughs> can I, can pass me some weed? You know, the story about, about him when I can't remember which actress is it, it is, but when she saw him in star Wars, like she went to see star, the premiere of star Wars and she saw him on screen. She was like, Hey, it's my weed dealer <laughs> because he was, he was her weed hey. dealer at the time. Yeah. Listen, people got to pay bills while they're trying to wait for their come up. Okay. <laughs> but how, how funny is that to be like, you see how Han Solo is my weed yeah, dealer. <laughs> my, my weed dealer just shot that alien. <laughs> and on that note, I think we're gonna we're gonna end the uh, I think we're gonna end this episode of All Crossed Out. I think if you guys listen to the uh, Weekly Planet podcast, you're gonna know that I, much like Mason, I need to bring up the theme music on my phone now so I can like play it on the <laughs> on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta bring it in. Like here it comes. Here it comes. Yay! <laughs> All right. And so, uh, <laughs> you made it through this whole thing without having a sneezing fit. So it's, it's good. I know I got a couple of coughs, but no sneezes. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so, uh, on that note, we're going to uh, bring this episode of all crossed out to a close. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to see you again on Sunday for, or Monday. We do it Sunday. You mm. get it Monday. Uh, we're slowly, uh, heading towards the end of the year in episode 50 of uh Mish's crossover attempt. Uh, it's been a pretty good, pretty good first year of that pod. We're gonna, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Also, stay tuned for me on Bridget Fetasy's Walkins Welcome podcast next week. I just recorded that today. Love Bridget. She and I go back several years. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Jen plug. Yes. Okay. So obviously, you know where to find us here on Colin eight thirty Eastern. Our main podcast, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, does drop every Monday. And you can catch that on all your podcast catchers. Um, you can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver. You can find me on Twitter at that Jen Monroe and on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. Awesome. I'm Neon Taster on Twitter. And also YouTube.com slash Neon Taster, Twitch.tv slash Neon Taster, and Instagram.com slash Neon Taster. And ambitious crossover attempt on YouTube for upcoming content. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, everybody, and have a great night. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye.